Good morning, friends. Today's message is an Ascension Day uh, message. I'm going to title it, We Have a Friend in Heaven. My text is Acts chapter 1, verse 9. After he had said this, he, that's Jesus, was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. You know, this is one of the most remarkable statements in all of, all of the Bible. We call it the Ascension of Jesus into Heaven, and all of the major creeds mention it, and every Christian group believes it. I mean, there are not many things that all Christians have always believed, but this is one of them. I mean, Christ's followers believe that at the end of his earthly life, Jesus literally and bodily ascended into heaven. We can go so far as to say that this is one of those doctrines that divides Christians and non-Christians. If you do not believe in the ascension of Jesus, then you are not really a Christian at all. Now, that may sound strange to say it, primarily because we do not talk about the ascension very often. We believe it, but we do not think about it very often, so it doesn't seem that important. Or perhaps it does not seem as important to us as the crucifixion or the resurrection. <clears throat> we know that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead for our salvation. And we know that we could not be saved without Good Friday or Easter Sunday. But where does the ascension fit in? To many people, it seems like a P.S. to the main message of the gospel, perhaps a convenient way for Jesus to go back to heaven. But does it really matter today? And is it essential to our Christian faith? Well, let's begin by considering what it was that the disciples saw when Jesus suddenly disappeared from earth. So let's start with what the disciples saw. Among the gospel writers, only Luke gives us any detail <clears throat> regarding the ascension. Matthew and John don't mention it at all. Mark mentions it very briefly in, in chapter 16, verse 19. But Luke 24, verses 50 to 52, give us this following information. When he, Jesus, had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now, when you add these verses to Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 14, the sequence of events kind of looks like this. The disciples and Jesus gather in the vicinity of Bethany. He commissions them as witnesses to the ends of the earth. He lifts up his hands to bless them, and as he blesses them, he begins to rise from the earth. The disciples watch as he leaves them. A cloud covers him and takes him from earth to heaven. The disciples look intently into the skies. Two angels appear to them. The disciples worshiped the Lord, and then they returned to Jerusalem where they met the other disciples in the upper room. Now, I've spelled this out in some detail because Luke obviously considers the ascension a particularly important event. He tells us enough so that we cannot doubt the reality of what happened on that day. As far as he's concerned, the ascension is just as real as the resurrection. Now, let me recap it another way. The disciples and Jesus were speaking. He blesses them and is taken up to heaven before their eyes. They were there. They saw it. It really happened. This was not a figment of their imagination or a dream or a vision. Unlike the resurrection, which no one saw as it was happening, the disciples actually saw Jesus ascend into heaven. Now, I emphasize this point because in recent years, liberal scholars have attack the ascension of Jesus as scientifically impossible. I mean, people just don't float off the earth and disappear into thin air. It violates the natural laws of the universe. I mean, critics suggest that Luke 24 and Acts 1 represent a pre-scientific view of the universe that no one takes literally today. 
To them, the ascension is not a literal event, but a parable that teaches us that Jesus is now in heaven. Well, such a view needs only one response. The ascension is no harder to believe than the resurrection. But those same liberal scholars do not believe Jesus rose from the dead either. When you make science your God, the miracles of the Bible go out the window, and instead of believing the Bible, you stand in judgment over it. Now, let me simply point out that if God can raise his son from the dead, he can certainly take him back home to heaven. It comes down to a simple question. Am I or are you willing to believe that God can do what he said he would do? The ascension poses no problem for people who believe in the God of the Bible. Now, what did it mean to Jesus? Well, first of all, it meant the end of his earthly sufferings. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 7 tells us that Jesus emptied himself of the outward trappings of deity in order to take on the form of a man. He humbled himself by leaving heaven to be born in a stable in Bethlehem. He veiled his glory and lived a life of humiliation. Now, all of us feel it was unfair for the king of kings to be treated so rudely by those who came, he came to save. Now, do you recall that as he hung on the cross, onlookers jeered at him as he died? They laughed at his pain and said, if you are the son of God, save yourself. The ascension means that Jesus has been vindicated in all that he came to do, and his days of humiliation are over forever. Second, the ascension proves that Jesus finished the work he came to do. While he was on earth, he often spoke of the work of his Father. I mean, in John 4, 34, 9, verse 4, 17, verse 4. I mean, his work came to a climax when he hung on the cross bearing the sins of the world. The Bible says in section 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that when he died, he became sin for us. And when he died, God poured out his wrath on Jesus, even though Jesus was perfect and pure and wholly innocent. But as the sinless substitute, he took the punishment that you and I should have received so that we might go free. And just before he died, Jesus shouted out, It is finished, which literally means paid in full. The work was done. The debt was paid. I can never be charged with the guilt of my sins. Neither can you because Jesus paid it all. The ascension signifies that the father has accepted the work of his son. Well, third, at his ascension, Jesus was glorified by God the Father. I mean, several times the Bible speaks of Jesus being at the right hand of God in heaven. You can read that in Acts 2.33, Colossians 3.1, Hebrews 1, verse 3. Now, in, in Hebrews, uh, the thought to be at the king's right hand meant that you were in the place of the highest authority. For Jesus, it means that he now reigns as king of kings and lord of lords. And the New Testament speaks of this in many places. Hebrews 1.3 says he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. Ephesians 1, 20 and 21, he has been elevated far above all earthly rule and authority. Ephesians 4:10, he is over all and fills the entire universe. Philippians 2, 9 to 11, he's been given a name that is above every name. Hebrews 1, 4, he's been declared greater than all the angels. Hebrews 2, 10, he became the captain of our salvation. Hebrews 6, 19 to 20, he entered heaven as our forerunner. 1 Corinthians 15.20, he is the first fruits of the resurrection. Colossians 1.18, he became the head of the church. Hebrews 1.13, he will reign until he puts all enemies under his feet. Revelation 5.12, he's crowned with honor and majesty. And Luke 1, verses 32 to 33, he waits for the moment when he will return to reign over the nations from David's throne in Jerusalem. 
You see, friends, the ascension means that Jesus has received what he deserved. And like a victorious conqueror returning home, Jesus now reigns in heaven and sits at the Father's right hand. His work is done, the battle is over, and he's been crowned the undisputed Lord of the universe. Now, what does that mean to us? Well, first of all, the work of salvation is now complete. And since God has accepted Jesus, nothing more can be added to what he did when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. Hebrews 10 verse 11 reminds us that there were no chairs in the tabernacle because the priests were not allowed to sit down. They stood to perform their work because their work was never done. Every day the priest would kill another animal, signifying that the price of the sin had not yet been paid. But when Jesus returned to heaven, he sat down because he had offered himself as the one sacrifice for sin forever. Well, thank God that Jesus is seated in heaven. It means we have a sit-down salvation. Well, second, we have a friend in heaven. Hebrews four fourteen to 16 calls Jesus a great high priest who's gone into heaven. Because he walked on this earth with us, he knows what we're going through, and he's able to sympathize with us in our struggles. And because he's now in heaven, he can help all of our troubles. When we go to the throne of grace, we do not have to worry about being turned away because Jesus himself is there to meet us. He has grace to help us in time of need. You know, people who live in big cities understand this principle pretty well. You know, you deal with so many different government bodies, local, state, and federal, that it's inevitable that sooner or later um, you'll get in trouble one way or another. And at that moment, only one question crosses your mind. Who do I know who can help me out? Well, if you know someone at City Hall, suddenly your problems begin to vanish. Or you may know someone who knows someone. If your friend can make a phone call, everything's going to be okay. In order to survive in today's world, often you need some friends in high places, a man on the inside, someone who knows you, uh, is willing to help you out. I mean, just try doing business in, in big cities without a few friends in high places. You could drown in a sea of red tape. What we need, though, friends, we already have in heaven. We've got a friend in high places, the highest place in the universe. We have got a man on the inside who can help us out with all of our problems. Think of it this way. When you're in trouble, you need two things. One, someone who cares about your problems. And two, someone who can help you out. Now, if your friend cares but is not in a position to help you, you will get sympathy, but you'll get no concrete help. If your friend could help you but does not care about your problem, well, that's like not having a friend at all. What you need is someone who cares, and it is a position to make things happen to you. That is what Jesus is, a friend in high places, who loves to come to the aid of his people. And third, the ascension also means that Jesus prays for us in heaven. Romans 8.34 tells us that Jesus is now at the right hand of God, interceding for us. In Hebrews 7.25, we learn that because Jesus lives forever, he is able to save completely those who have come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Now, the word intercede means to speak up, on behalf of someone else. That means that Jesus is now in heaven praying for us. That's you and me. But a marvelous thought that is, because, you know, what a blessing for troubled souls. You know, when I'm down the dumps, Jesus prays for me. When I falter under a heavy load, Jesus prays for me. When my faith gets shaky, Jesus prays for me. When I fight a losing battle against temptation, Jesus prays for me. I mean, there is even more than that. Often when I'm asked to pray for someone, I, I can't seem to find the appropriate words, and I feel as if my prayers are, you know, just in vain. 
But Jesus in heaven comes alongside, takes my pitiful prayers, and transforms them into powerful petitions before the throne of God. When I cannot pray, when the words won't come out, Jesus prays for me. And fourth, 1 John 2 verse 2 adds the encouraging truth that Jesus is our attorney in heaven. He is our advocate who speaks to the Father in our defense. When the devil comes and makes a claim against us, Jesus speaks on our behalf and pleads his own blood in our defense. The father looks at his son, sees his peer's hands, and says, case dismissed. Now, let me tell you the best part of this truth. He's never lost a case yet. No matter how much money you pay an earthly lawyer, you can never be certain of the outcome of your case. I mean, so many things can happen in the courtroom that you cannot control. I mean, even the best lawyers lose now and then. But because Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God the Father, he is in the place of highest authority in the universe. He never has to appeal a decision to the Supreme Court. I mean, he is the Supreme Court, and he's there for you and me all the time. He is our 24-7, 365 advocate in heaven. Acts chapter 7 shows us how this works. When Stephen preached his bold sermon before the Jewish Sanhedrin, that's the Supreme Court of Israel, he recited the history of the nation showing how the Jews had consistently rejected God's messengers. He told them, in verse 52, that they had murdered God's righteous son. Well, they didn't like that kind of talk, so the Bible says they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen cried out, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing by the right hand of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, on earth, Stephen stands before a corrupt human court, but in heaven, there's another judge. There will be another trial, but this time the judge will also be the attorney for the defense. Now, the judge normally sits, but in heaven, Jesus stands to defend his people. It's as if Jesus were saying, they can kill you on earth, but I will defend you in heaven. And fifth, let me mention one aspect of this truth you may not have considered. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he took his glorified humanity with him. I mean, the physical body of Jesus is now in heaven, which means that someday when we are raised from the dead, we will not be raised as spirits, but as some real people with real physical bodies glorified just like Jesus. I mean, he not only redeemed your soul, but also redeemed your body. If you're in Jesus, you have the promise that your flesh will be renewed and gloriously raised in the resurrection. Then we shall see him as he is, and we will be with him forever. See, the ascension guarantees our, our Christian destiny. Because he was raised, we too will be raised. Because he ascended, we too will ascend. Because he's in heaven, we're going to join him there someday. I mean, what hope do any of us have of going to heaven? Well, surely it's this. We will be there where he is, and we know where he is because he ascended into heaven. At the moment of death, the child of God can rest assured that the Jesus who ascended bodily in heaven will take him or her to be with him and will one day raise their bodies immortal and incorruptible. You can read all about that at 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-two to 53. Let me close with this thought. Because of the ascension, we may rest assured that the religion of Jesus is true. God has accepted him, and because God accepted him, he will accept all those who trust in him. Because he's safe in heaven, we will someday be safe in heaven. We will be where he now is. The ascension shows us how we should spend our life looking up. I remember hearing a story a long time ago about a little boy who went outside on a very windy day to fly his new kite. And as the wind blew, the kite flew higher and higher until it kind of disappeared from view in the clouds. Well, somebody walked by and said, uh, 
I mean, how do you know the kite is still attached to the string? And the boy said, I can feel it pull. You know something, friends, the same is true for us today. Jesus is pulling us toward heaven. He is pulling us away from the earth toward our eternal home. We may not see him with our eyes, but we feel his tug in our hearts. We know where he is, and we know that's that where he is, we will be someday. Every day, Jesus tugs on our hearts, pulling us toward heaven so that when we finally get there, we will not feel like strangers. One day soon, the Lord will give us one final tug, and we will end up in heaven forever. Until then, let the people of God rejoice. Jesus has conquered. He has won the victory and defeated every foe. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.